Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hello, this is Eat Sleep Work Repeat. I'm Bruce Daisley. It's a podcast about workplace culture, psychology, and life. Thank you so much for listening today. I really appreciate it. It's kind of an anti-celebrity podcast. The thing about podcasts that drives listening is celebrity guests. You open the podcast app, you see a name you recognize, you think, oh, I'll listen to that one. And this is kind of the opposite because, I mean, I'm, I'm not sure there's any celebrities who are doing the day-to-day work of building culture that I could have on. I've wondered, who could you get that represents the intersection of work and celebrity? Alan Sugar, do me a favour. James Dyson, not on my life. No, we're here, so no celebs, just real insight. If you open your podcast app looking for names, no doubt you come to these podcasts last, but hopefully it exceeds your expectations. Right, I've got an outstanding conversation today. I want you to understand how different firms are handling the return to work. Last year, I, I did a, a series or an episode where I was asking firms how they were sort of navigating the mid-COVID, and it, it skewed towards a lot of small firms. And as a consequence, I wanted to, to do something that was a response to that. So I've chosen about a firm with 70,000 employees and with people working in retail, in office. I, uh, so I went and chatted to Lloyd's Banking Group. Now, Tom Kagodi is the lead for WorkLab at Lloyd's Bank. He's one of those intelligent, bright, brilliant people who would be just you know, an incredible cultural leader at any firm. And he's been tasked with the responsibility of thinking about what the future of work looks like in Lloyd's and really sort of passing off the execution as much as possible. So this is not someone who's meant to be sitting on slides and plotting the future, but making practical recommendations to colleagues. He brought in his colleague, Josh Reynolds, who works in the people team there. And we just had a really interesting conversation that's incredibly practical about what does a big organisation do to make new hybrid culture, new hybrid experiments and new remote working experiments stick. Now, there's some really interesting things that Lloyd's are doing. Uh, They're not mandating certain days in the office. The teams are calling the shots. They are... They're thinking about different work styles. These home workers, these hub workers, these hybrid workers. Home, hub, hybrid, three different work styles. We talk about whether one day they will be fully remote workers because they, the home workers are actually sort of field sale workers. You'll hear it. Um, Tom talks about the importance of workplace pull. They, they recognise that they need to create 
if, if there's no mandated days, they need to create attractions to come in. Sometimes, he told me, as we wandered around the, the fairly buzzy central London Liverpool Street office, he said sometimes that is leaders have just said, look, we want pizzas. We want to create events, loads of events. How do we create reasons for people to come in? So really, uh, th- so that pull, that attraction is really critical. And Tom says they've realised collaboration isn't the reason people come into the office. It's community and connection. Really interesting. So I think you're going to really enjoy this. I've put the LinkedIn for both Tom and Josh in the show notes. Like I say, you know, great opportunity to meet someone who's helping to create meaningful changes inside a big organisation. Here's my conversation with Tom Kagodi and Josh Reynolds at Lloyds Bank. I'm delighted to say we recorded this episode in a real office. We wandered around. We saw the little phone booths that they've introduced, some of the little meeting spaces. They've really refreshed the space to make the whole of it, the whole of Lloyd's building that I went to just off Liverpool Street, all about connection and these moments of sort of co-creation. As a result of that, there is a bit of office noise. So you'll hear one loud gentleman comes in and makes his presence felt in the, the little workspace next to us. It won't affect your enjoyment, but just a reminder, this is the sound of an office. Firstly, thank <laughs> you for welcoming me into your real office. I wonder if you could both kick us off by introducing who you are and what you do. Yeah, sure. So I'm Tom Cagody. We've met before, Bruce, many we have, times. We have. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I worked for Lloyds Banking Group for the last 14 years. So I started as a cashier and uh, done a number of roles. So I found myself sort of in innovation. I did that for five years. And then I've always become sort of fascinated by the way that we work. We spent so much time at work. Um, tested the new work manifesto back in 2018 with the team then. Um, and I guess it's kind of, I've been able to sort of carve my way into the people and property team here, um, where we're looking at kind of future of work. And, um, and now I'm what, what we're calling our work lab is, uh, is the concept that I'm leading at the moment. So how do we use the power of communities, internal and external, to try and shape and find out where we go next with, with work and hybrid working? Uh, yeah, so I'm Josh Reynolds. I've been with the bank for the past three years. Um, and I, I actually sit within the colleague experience team um, where we, we look at everything to do with, any, anything to do with the experience of colleagues in the bank. And we look at trying to make it better um, try and understand what is our proposition um, as an employer uh, for, for Lloyds Banking Group. Um, but for the past year, uh, I've spent a lot of time on the Future of Work programme. So trying to navigate that entire journey throughout the pandemic um, and understand well, what, what's Lloyd's banking group thinking and, and feeling and doing in, in that space of, of what we want colleagues to do in the future, both in how they use offices, how we you know, have flexible hours, um, uh, all of that approach. So um, had my head in that and more specifically looking actually at what, what others are doing. So a lot of what I've been doing is actually trying to pull in all the external insight from what's going on outside of the group um, and pulling that in to sort of inform our thinking um, make sure that we are we're not missing anything um, and uh, trying, to, trying to make sure that we we are offering the very best we can to our colleagues so let's take just a, a quick step back because you mentioned there Tom that you started as a cashier right okay and I think people when they think of employees of banks they probably either think of cashiers or bankers sort of putting down six-figure bonuses and and you know, but I'm wondering around here, it doesn't look like either of those are here. So, so what do people who work at Lloyd's actually do? What is the job? 
you know, the nature of this organisation, it's so big. We've got colleagues ranging right from the very beginning stage of their career, where actually it's an entry-level job. We've got apprentices that come into the, the group. Josh, what are they doing, though? What are they doing? Well, so I guess we've got our, our core business, right? We've got retail customers. We've right. also got commercial customers and, and client-facing colleagues as well. So we've got a range of different sort of customer-facing arms. Um, but then also there's the kind of the back-office stuff that needs to get done. So the things that happen in the background that make the kind of... So, for example, where we're sat today, um, we've got our, our transformation team and sort of looking at the kind of, I think we've got the cloud guys in today looking at our cloud strategy and they're having their sessions to look at that. Also our um, chief information office team as well that are helping us sort of shape what the technology that we need in this organisation looks like in the future. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, if you look up and down the building, you'll have risk, you'll have finance, you'll have data analytics, you'll have all kinds of teams, often in these quite large buildings. Um, and it's, I guess... The stage now is we're looking at how do we start to feel more like one team as we start to go forward in this journey together. And what did work look like over the last two years? Very home-based. Was it? Was it? <laughs> yeah, so um, we are at that kind of point where... Um, so over the last two years, we were able to do a number of things we never thought would have been possible. So that's, I think that's a good thing, right? So we've been able to demonstrate the flexibility that we have within our workforce under the, you know, in a crisis situation. I think the, the, the magic bit will be how do we create that sense of urgency and sense of flexibility when we're emerging out of a crisis moment, right? Because crisis drives innovation. So how do we create that sense of urgency around maintaining those bits that were flexible? So we were able to mobilise a number of colleagues, our front-facing customer colleagues who were taking calls in call centres. We were enabled, we enabled them to work from home. So they were able to serve customers from home. Some of them loved that. Some of them didn't like it so much. And actually... Um, but we always had the opportunity for colleagues to use our offices if they wanted to from a wellbeing perspective. So we made it possible for desks to be booked for people that actually, from a wellbeing point of view, really needed to be in an office space and they didn't have the space at home. And we've got a lot of colleagues that are in that, in that situation. Um, but I guess where we're at at the moment is about to start that next phase of our hybrid working journey. Um, and we've said from the 1st of March, we're, we're looking to move, move to be working in hybrid ways. What that means is very different for a number of colleagues across the organisation. Um, we've, we've started to look at our, our organisation in the styles of work that they do. So um, we've got a number of, so 1% so of our colleagues, that kind of looks like it's a home-based approach. So um, they might be in the field, you know, out, out on the road. Actually, that's home-based. They've been home-based before as well. Um, we've then got 21% of our colleagues that we think are, are hub-based, so they might be the ones that are in the branches serving customers on a day-to-day -day basis, and they need to be in our hub to do their yeah. role. And then this wide range um, of 78% where we're in that hybrid zone, and it's kind of figuring out what that looks like. And we've taken quite a different approach to um, a number of other organisations, so we're not mandating days. We are saying you have a conversation, and that conversation is based around the individual needs, and the needs of um, that, that individual's team and the needs of the business as well. And it's finding that sweet spot on those conversations which we asked teams to have last year um, was almost the driving force of that, right. to get everyone talking about how we will be working as we move into this next part of the journey. And is there anything that you've learned since you've started this experiment back in the office? I mean, you, you talk about March the 1st being which while we're talking now is a week away, but you've talked about that sort of the official start of this, but you must have had a bit going on already. Is there anything that you've learned that's changed your opinion? So, for example, you mentioned something that I'd heard, which is the call centre workers. Mm. Initially, 
it was generally, I heard really good things about Coulson to workers working remotely. I dealt with two companies. They told me the team productivity gains from people working remotely. Yours, I, I then separately had an email from someone who was a call centre worker. He mm. said, my day involves arguing with people all day. Mm-hmm. And he said, it's actually traumatic mm-hmm. to be sitting at the dining table. I've spent the whole day arguing with people mm. and now I'm eating my food. And it's it's actually traumatic. I can't escape like the memories of these yeah. of the. So it's like really interesting. This, have you learned anything different? You mentioned call centre workers. Of the, the aspects changed. What what have you guys learned that's maybe changed your perspective? I think what what I've learned throughout the whole process is that the preconceptions that we had around these roles will prefer this, these roles will prefer this. So, for, for example, there were other roles, so kind of coming away from the call centre a little bit and maybe thinking of those traditional tech roles where you've got people who work in software development. And I think at the beginning, in my mind, I'm thinking they're going to love being at home. They're going to love just doing, doing their thing on their IT equipment. Um, and the same, the same way for sort of call centres, that they're going to love... Um, they're gonna, that they would prefer to be kind of there in physical presence. And what we've found is that actually it's changed over time is that you realise some of these software developers want to get together. They want to collaborate. They want to do some of this stuff um, in person. And likewise, you've got the call centre colleagues actually love the flexibility of being at home. But we just, it's almost, we can't have preconceptions and we're learning as we go in terms of we can't pigeonhole a certain set of colleagues as they will prefer this because of what they do. Um, and what we're seeing is starting to, to kind of merge approaches and see di- different areas of the business taking ideas from others. So I know in the call centre, the case of the call centres, the view now is, is that there's quite a high number of those call centre colleagues that will work almost on a scheduled basis. So they might spend a week in the office and then two weeks at home or two okay. weeks in the office or a week at home. Um, and that's not, that's not everywhere. Some call centres are having everyone back in. Um, some are maybe offering more flexibility, but it's just that case that what we thought certain colleagues would want has changed and so we've had to make sure that we adapt to that change and make sure that we are aware that we probably had the wrong uh, preconceptions as a Mm -hmm. business at the beginning um, because we'd all never been through this before and it was all new and so we need to keep that in mind as we we go through 2022 as well. Yeah, it strikes me actually that that uncertainty, that doubt that runs through the system, it's the humility that organisations are showing that's that's protected for them. So, you know, there's one big financial institution who made big claims about how they were going to be work from anywhere and these rumours that that company's now thinking that's potentially a mistake. And it strikes me that it's the organisations who've tried to gain the capital by going out there and saying, we've got all the answers, here's what we're doing, are the ones now that are backpedalling mm-hmm. because things don't appear as they expected. Yeah, and I think you need to build that... We need to build that flexibility in from the outset because... We don't know what's around the corner, as we've already seen over the last couple of years. Like, we started to offer the, you know, we start to look at how we might be back into offices back at the back of the last year. Omicron comes along, and then we've got to start putting restrictions back in around using our offices again. So I think if there's anything that we've learned, it's how do we continue with that flexibility. Another big conversation we're having a lot at the moment is around purpose. So what is the purpose of going into an office, right? And I think we've this is the bit where we started off on this journey thinking we go to offices to collaborate and I'm convinced that's started to become a bit of a red herring. I think that we go to offices for human connection and for the sense of community and if we get those, collaboration is a byproduct of those two things. So 
we've, you can see that Teams is a collaboration tool. We've been, and if we haven't been collaborating for the last two years, I'm yeah. kind of concerned as to how, how we've managed to get all this work done. And, like, yeah. and we're not in a massive burnout epidemic, right? So, so I think it's kind of, um, we, we just need to think about that purpose much more. And, and that's at the front. And because we've started to talk a lot more like that, you know, colleagues are thinking like that as well. So actually we're thinking, you know, what's the purpose of me going into an office? So they'll be having, they'll be really starting to, to use their, um, you know, plan what it is that they're looking to do on that day to get the most out of it. And I had a really great example the other day of, um, of a team in the group that were really open and wanted to share their experience because they've found this, they've been on this journey with this kind of, this new way of working. Now, we often hear about the kind of the water cooler moments, right? And those being the magic moments that you have. But actually for that team, the water cooler moments were, were not positive. There was quite a lot of, um, you know, sort of gossip culture that they had in that particular team. And they're all open to say, yeah, it, it, wasn't, it wasn't great. But what they've seen is as a result of them moving away from the office, they've got closer as a team. And they're actually building better relationships. They've created this environment of psychological safety where they can challenge each other and they'll talk to each other because they're, they're in an environment where they will, will do that and that the gossip culture isn't, isn't around. So it's actually flipped it and now they've started to experience how they go back to offices. So it's almost put this test and learn mindset into them where now they're going back and they're having this ongoing conversation about, well, is this working for you? Is this, is this working in terms of like what we're doing when we are together? Are we getting the most from it? So they started off going back into offices at the back end of last year for full collaboration where they were having team days, they were having this kind of face-to-face -face meetings and face-to-face -face time all day. And what they found was that was actually quite draining. And by the time it got to about two or three o'clock, they were knackered. Right, right, <laughs> so, right. so they would they restructured it when they came back and they said, right, let's do some work together in the morning and then in the afternoon we'll have that sort of team time. Just okay. split it up. And actually the time they had together in the morning doing, and it's quite an operational team this, so you know they had some mailings they had to do, they had some processes they had to follow, but that time almost to get of togetherness when they were working together, asking those questions and in the in the trenches together, if you like, that was that was what gave them the energy for then the afternoon and then they had a really energized afternoon. So it's about getting the balance of the activity that they're doing right so that it works for the team. It's going to be different for every team. So who makes the decisions on this? Because it sounds like there's a lot of autonomy for groups to be self-determining. Mm -hmm. So is the manager making the decision or is there is there modeling that everyone in a team? Your employee experience, Josh. Do you do? Is there best practice examples? I mean, you're a really big scale organisation. How do you make sure that there's just not very, very different lived experiences? I think I think the approach uh, that we've taken has been that that we have really focused on understanding what what we would want in an ideal world from Lloyd's Banking Group perspective, and we have shared that as, as like you say best practice and we've said you know these, these specific tools or doing this with your team or talk talking this way with your team about what they what they think in terms of coming into the office um, but then you go away and you have that conversation and what we've found is that we've worked really really closely with because it's such a large organization we have all these different divisions and we've made sure that from the very the word go they have been part of the journey and we've been talking to them and working with them and um, still to this to this day we continue talking to them regularly around what are you seeing in your division what do you think about this and where they're almost as that central voice to say this is what we feel as a group as a collective and um, this is what we we are we are emphasizing is, is perhaps the what we think is the right way but we can't apply that to every single case and so we give you this we hand it over to you and then kind of devolve that 
decision making to you as a division um, and, and that, that's the approach that we've gone with the whole way through and right. what that has then allowed is that yeah there are pockets of the organisation that actually they need to bring in a few more guardrails than maybe some others or they need to bring in a specific initiative but they've got the freedom to do that um, and we're not again it's this idea of I think we speak about it all the time there's no one size fits all anymore um, and things are becoming a lot more personalised to individuals um, and so it didn't feel right for us as an organisation to then start saying this is this is how every all 70 odd thousand colleagues in Lloyds Banking Group are going to work um, because it just wouldn't work uh, because everyone's so different. So in terms of that decision-making, as you mentioned, it certainly has been on a kind of divisionally-led and then down to their managers within that as well to make those, have those conversations. And I think that's the, the kind of the line managers. We've, we've, we've asked a lot of our leaders and our line managers um, over the last couple of years to try, because obviously to have these conversations and to try and find that sweet spot, but also to try and facilitate these conversations when obviously they're still going on a journey themselves together to get to this this point as well. So I think it's, um, and I guess the role we're, we're trying to play, particularly as we move into this next phase of moving to our kind of hybrid future and how we start to navigate that, a role which I'm hoping for us to sort of play a lot more is this kind of the connector role. So how do we how do we um, sur- help surface the best practice and, and share and involve everyone in that bigger conversation around um, future of work, which is where um, the kind of the work lab which we've set up it, it, it really comes in because you know we've, we've started to bring these we had a community of colleagues last year where as we were introducing changes around the future of work and our um, sort of testing we were testing with them on, on a focus group basis now, now we've brought them into and we call them our work heroes so this is our community of colleagues that have said i want to be involved in the conversation about what's next for work um, it's a yammer community so anyone can access it and we really want it to be that kind of organic growth community because you want people that are you know passionate about the topic so anyone can that works for the group can, can log, on, log on to yammer search for work heroes and they'll they'll be able to be part of this conversation we're finding colleagues are sharing their experiences and what we've also seen is that you know, people have, they want to talk about the best practice they've discovered over the last two years, the epiphany moments that they've had right. over the last couple of years. And we're getting really rich insight from them and they're getting involved in a number of different things. So we've, we've talked to them about remote working for, for, and it's those kind of um, accessible ideation sessions that we run with them. So um, I call them a kickabout. So it's just an idea kickabout where we would have 30 minutes in the diary, come along and we encourage you to use the chat function within, within Microsoft Teams, add your ideas into that, but also we have a conversation on the call as well around three big questions. And we work with different parts of the business to figure out what their challenge is and what that challenge question would be. Yeah. Um, so we did one on remote working. We've also done one around our future office design standards and what they should look like. Um, and colleagues are choosing to interact with those. So, uh, And we're, we're hoping to use it as a bit of an opportunity to test, but also collaborate with other teams across the bank that are going through this process of thinking, well, I'm going to have to adapt some of my propositions that I, you know, that I offer to colleagues, or, um, or, or I want to test this, like my thinking, I just want to test my thinking with colleagues. We've had the opportunity to create this conversation, and the, the work lab gives that, that opportunity, opens it up to say, look, let's involve people in, this, in these discussions on an ongoing basis, um, and let you be part of that conversation if if they want to be yeah. um, and and with that view of sort of accelerating the, the, the work that these teams out in other parts of the organization are doing so how can we help them to accelerate as well as do that co-create test propositions right. um, which is what we're looking to do right. and then that other so there's like those, that community aspect again trying to create that that sense of community and the power of communities to help solve problems and use the, use the crowd right it's like crowdsourcing 
So you mentioned along the way that you've got no fixed policy. Mm. And I think when we were talking before, you talked about, so it's the job, therefore, of the workforce team to create a workplace pull, mm. to create reasons to come in. Mm. What would they look like? What were the reasons? You talked about connection and community, and I really see those vividly. Yeah. Is that about the workspace has things that we wouldn't have at home? Or what are the other pulls that you would create? Yeah, I think it's like complex to solve complex problems is the things that the things that are harder to do when we are at home so much of it is around human connection everything we've ever we've asked what do you miss i miss seeing people you can't take your colleagues home with you well you probably could but you, you, might, you might you know what i mean so it's kind of um this human connection element i think is like the key ingredient in our offices that make people want to join want to come to them but then it's different for everybody, you know, because some people haven't got that, haven't got the right environment mm. to work. So actually, they say, I'm much more productive in an office. Like, I don't want to be work from home. Like, I've been, you know, the pandemic forced me to work from home. So it's, there's such a variance, and there's so many people, there's such a variance. It's, it's about making sure that we've got the right mix of options for all of our workforce. And I think the pull is generally going to be around people. Right. And you mentioned a couple, uh, th- three sort of different job descriptions, work styles, I think mm-hmm. you called them, mm-hmm. which were home, hub, and hybrid. Mm-hmm. And home there struck me as, you know, it's often field workers. So, mm-hmm. it, But is there another category? Are you advertising specifically for remote-only work? So will you hire anyone who never sees a Lloyd's office? <laughs> I think it's to be... To be decided, I think. So there's no there's no job adverts currently that say remote only. Not that I'm aware of. No, I, from what I'm aware, there's always we've always had the flexibility that it's it's a discussion around where you work, um, and I think what it has done is that it's brought that to the fore, where even more that that maybe before it used to be kind of a side of note policy that it's a case of yeah you know we're flexible we have flexible locations that can include home you have that discussion in recruitment whereas now it almost feels that has been brought to the fore where that probably i can imagine in recruitment now is is one of the very first things that people talk about but our approach has always been it's on a case-by-case um situation so somebody may apply for a role that might not be advertised as remote only but if that negotiation that conversation happens and it suits the business it suits the manager it suits the colleague then there's no reason to say that we would there's no policy to say that that won't happen but yeah as tom said as of yet in terms of actually advertising a remote only role i'm not i'm not aware of of tell me this you know you look at employee experience josh Obviously, you're in a really competitive workplace where you've got a colossal employee count, right? 70,000 employees. Do you take a look at other organisations? Do how do you try and benchmark what's right for employees? What's, you know, what's the employee expectation? You know, that amount of people, you're in a competitive job market all the time in a load of different fronts. How do you work out what's a competitive offering in terms of that employee experience? I think I think it kind of comes back to similar to what Tom mentioned about how we've how we've come to our formulation of our future of work has been we just talk to colleagues we talk to them um, and actually not that long ago we've had discussions with colleagues about why do you why do you stay at Lloyd's Banking Group um, which a lot of people would often find is quite a funny question to ask them because you've got your employer coming to you and saying why are you staying with us why are you not, why are you not leaving. Um, but they really, it was really interesting, the conversations that came out, and there were some good points and there were some bad points. There were reasons why people might say, well, you know, I have, I have looked outside of Lloyd's Banking Group, but at the same time, there's some that have said, this is what keeps me here. Um, 
and that is we found that's the most effective way so far in terms of understanding well how competitive are we let's talk to the people who are working for us and they'll tell us um, and creating that environment I think that's really important as well and we've worked really hard to create the environment where we can actually get those honest views from colleagues where they're not thinking well I can't really tell you what I think because my manager will find out or I can't really tell you because you might you might put me on some kind of review or something we've, we've really worked hard to create these forums and create these networks where we can talk openly and colleagues can talk openly with no um, no uh, consequences and they can they can share what they really think and that, that's been invaluable to us in terms of benchmarking where we sit as well as obviously like looking out and we you know look at look at places like Glassdoor and, and other 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 ways that we can speak to you know other um, organizations as well we talk to them see what see what's going on out there um, but yeah can you talk colleagues. a little bit about measurement so whether it's taking the pulse of the organization whether it's measuring people are doing their jobs how do you benchmark what you're describing there in a in a metric based way and secondly yeah. how do you benchmark whether someone's doing their job that's a really good question um, and I actually I think at the moment we we perhaps or actually not at the moment but previously we've looked at you know the the old school styles of measurement you know the, the kind of in, the engagement so we 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 survey colleagues um, on kind of an annual basis and get their thoughts on things and um, and understand their sentiment you know how they feel about their line manager how how they feel about their their job um, ask them questions about you know how bureaucratic the things feel and that sort of thing and we we can obviously track sentiment um, and engagement as we as we we look at that and we can get a feel for how people are feeling about the organization in terms of their role it's been very business uh, business area specific so they will look at ways how do we measure our colleagues how do we know if they're successful and um, if they're doing their job correctly and what's really interesting now is that because everything's changed like how do you how do you how do you measure productivity now how do you pro- measure efficiency um in a world where previously it used to be oh yeah i've sent so many emails today or, mm. or um things like this whereas actually now Perhaps we need to think a bit differently about that. People have different working patterns. You might come in and spend a whole day in the office and not actually do any work, but you've spent the whole day connecting with people. Um, and that's how do you measure that? Um, and I think that is something that we are going to have to tackle, as well as the whole industry, is around well, how, do, how, do you, how do you measure that and make sure that work is still happening while still understanding that the landscape is very different. And you, nece- you know, we're not, we're not in the, the world of, of factories anymore where you can measure the output so clearly. Um, and, and it feels like we are moving further and further away from that um, and more into a world where there's a lot of intangibles that we have mm-hmm. to try and measure. Um, so, yeah. And I think it's that concept of productivity being the biggest one. Like People are like, well, how can I measure how productive my workforce is? I've had so many conversations with people saying, oh, well, I went into the office and I was really unproductive because I was speaking to loads of people. And I'm like... No, that is a different kind of productivity because that you need that fire, like that fired up connection to then be able to go on and, you know, that work will come as a result yeah. of that. So we just need to think about these things in a different way. Um, and I think it's, get, it's that journey to sort of what these new make, metrics and measures might look like when we, we, we can't, as Josh says, like we can't rely on the old ones anymore because we're in a very different environment. Right. Um, and, and, you know, some of those will start to emerge, I think. There's definitely been a clear focus on um, uh, an uplift over the last last two years on, on well-being, rightly so, right? So, we, you know, we enabled um, headspace for all of our colleagues. And we, you know, there's a, a real strong focus on that kind of element of um, being well at work. And I think that was something that will definitely, definitely continue throughout the organisation and has a lot of focus on. Um, and I guess it's kind of, you know, p- people are just revalidating what they, what they want from an employer. Um, and what it means to be an employee. So, like, I think it's just that that realignment 
is getting us ready for this next stage of work we're about to enter as a as a you know a global society because now things are much more open as well right you've got the ability people are thinking assessing right actually if i can work remote perhaps i want something which has got much more opportunity for me to travel and and and, and do things that i you know it's that moment where it's like right we've had a pandemic now like i'm like gonna go and do what i want now <laughs> It's that everyone's making big life decisions and changes because they're thinking, right, you only live once, I'm going to get out and do this. And a lot of that is then comes down to, you know, how and where you can, you can work that enables you to have the life that you want to have. Right. And there's a job, a persuasion job here, isn't there? Mm. Because the persuasion job is if you've got 70,000 70, employees and you've got a lot of bosses that maybe yeah. knew how it worked, how do you persuade people who are maybe the managers who kind of, you know, high-performance environment, demanding environment, mm. you know, strong growth targets. How do you persuade a manager who wants their team back five days a week or maybe reluctantly through gritted teeth yeah. four days a week? How do you persuade them that this is good for their team as well yeah. as good for the organisation? Because, you know, there's a danger. There's, if Let's be led by national newspaper headlines. Mm. National newspaper headlines will set out to tell us that you know this is another sign of a lazy generation who can't handle stress that you know working from home is shirking from home and you know one person contacted me saying the, the appeal of working from home is people don't like having a shower every day and they're like i mean just <laughs> extraordinary sort of uh, disrespect for your fellow human yeah. being people like lying in bed not showering they're so lazy people yeah. are lazy yeah you must have managers who believe that philosophy in life. Yeah, and I think that is the the, the big challenge is how... And you've also got to remember, right, it's, it's, it's not their fault. Like, they have built very successful careers. Thank you very much on the old model. So, you know, it's, it's quite... It's quite reasonable for them to, to be in that in that mindset, and we see it in innovation, right? When you see you, you've got the, the the laggards that take longer to adapt to, to adapt, you've got the early adopters that are there, and and that's the same with our leadership work, like work the workforce and our leadership workforce, right? We've, we've got people that are these early adopters, and I think one of the things um, I'm really interested in as we start to go into this next part is how do we harness those leaders that are early adopters? to demonstrate to their peers the benefits and the values of this way of working has given to them. So I think we need to try and surface those, those good stories of leaders doing absolutely the right thing and seeing the benefit to help others along the way. Because my nervousness is executives get twitchy across you know, the world and they start to default back to old methods. Right. What you're then likely to see is people exiting the organisation or exiting wherever it is they are because they don't have that balance which we talked about which is yeah. now becoming more and more important to people so it's trying to, to to get that that essence of why you know I think the why is so important in all of these questions so you know if someone says I want you back in the office five days a week well, why um, you know and actually trying to unpack what those reasons are and, and, and find out you know is it just because that's well that's what work is what, what, what has come to the fore more than ever and it almost isn't isn't a revolutionary idea but it is the importance of line managers it's how important these yeah. these managers are in the organisation we've seen success and failure throughout the pandemic and hybrid working and working from home based on interactions with managers and so something that we're we're looking at is well what is our leader of the future and yeah. I think what is it 
<laughs> a very, very good it? question. A very good question. And I think overall, it's an empathetic leader. Okay. And, and, and it's this idea that actually, we, this is the whole reason we listen, is because you can't be empathetic if you don't listen to them. And I think that's going to be um, really key. And some of these leaders that, are, you know, they're, they're great employees, many of them, but they maybe just have this warped view that it's them that are delivering when actually it's their team that are delivering. And they are there as a leader, and their role is to get the best out of their team. And so sometimes this feeling of, well, I can't see if we're delivering or not. I can't see it. Um, it I need to get everyone in the office, and I need to pull everyone forward. Actually, if they, they need to listen to their colleagues, to talk their, their, their employees, to understand well, what works for them, for them to get the best out of their, uh, out of their abilities. Um, and trying to help people understand that if you are a leader, that is your role. Your role is to get the best from your team, and you need to talk to them to understand what they need. And that might mean you're not always there. I think that's going to be really, really important, and that's something that we're we're looking at is, is trying to understand well, what sort of leader do we want and it's built upon um, some of the principles, the core behaviours in the business that we want and a big one of them is empathy. We want them to care um, and I've, I've actually personally been really impressed by Lloyd's throughout is that from the very top um, there has been that, that high sense of empathy right. and we have to ensure that that continues. Because mm-hmm. um, it's interesting, I think, you know, the, the job for people to demonstrate right now organisations I think to demonstrate I remember doing a podcast about four years ago with people who worked at Buffer and Basecamp Mm. two remote only firms and the really interesting thing is that there seemed to be a sliding scale between the the way that the work was far more flexible around you fully remote asynchronous work and the success of the organisation both of them were not especially profitable organisations. They were relatively small organisations. They, they were sort of like nice family, cottage industry style mm. feels. Not high growth, not high performance. And so as a consequence, naysayers might be saying, right, yeah, yeah, be as empathetic as you want. Empathy exists in opposition to mm. high performance. And, you know, be as, you know, progressive, as employee focused as you want. Yeah, the reason why companies, some companies are successful is they drive their workers to an unreasonable extent. Mm. And yet I think there's a really interesting job and opportunity for someone to demonstrate that high performance can be consistent with progressive, mm-hmm. pragmatic versions of work. Absolutely, and I think a key, a key element that leaders will play is creating the right conditions for high performance, right? And those conditions will be different for everybody. So it's understanding the kind of mix of people that you've got in your team. What is it that drives them to enable them to do their best work and be happy and productive at the same time? And if, if a, I think that's where a, a role of a leader will, will come, is to understand the mix, understand the people that are in their team and how to get the best out of them and how they're achieving that kind of working in, the, in, like, in sync with each other and they're, they're, they're bouncing off each other. Like, how do you create that kind of environment? I think leaders will play a critical role in that going forward. Mm. Mm. If you're your future of work, mm. work hub, future of work, mm. do you ever sit there? I mean, you must sit there. If you don't sit there, then we've got an issue. But <laughs> uh, sit there thinking, right, okay, so specifically, what does work look like in five years and how do we work back from it? Or can you not even begin to do that? Uh, yeah, I sit there often thinking this question <laughs> yeah. and often trying to, to do that kind of um, that future gazing, right? And it's so hard to do because I think because we've seen such a fundamental shift over the last two years, you realise how quickly things can change and that can be based on so many different things, right? A global like pandemic, but also if we think about like 
you know, the, so, the societal changes that we're seeing, changes in the kind of, um, you know, the government approach that we're seeing, like what we're seeing going on in other parts of the, of the, of the world at the moment. You know, it, it, there's so many things that impact what the world, world of work will look like. Um, but I do think it's, it's that, um, what does the journey look like in five years' time? I think it's that we are in a place where we're content that, uh, that we, and we trust our people to do the best work, however it is that, that they get it. So they are able to make the decisions about the work that they do, and we trust them to do that. Um, and I think that's, that's where we need to get to. Big burden of expectation on people, isn't there? Mm. Because you can definitely see that in six months' time, in 12 months' time, most organisations have had a pretty decent pandemic, all things considered. Mm. You know, unless you're in retail, mm. unless you're in like two or three sectors. But most organisations have had, you know, a pandemic that it's been way longer than they expected mm. in March 2020. But if someone told them the results they had were the ones they've achieved, they'd go, OK, that, I'll take that. Um, there's a big burden and expectation on organisations, I think, for the next year, isn't there? Because if we go into this hybrid experience and this experiment and it doesn't work, mm. there's going to be a lot of people saying, well, we've got some fantastic real estate here. Let's get everyone back. We knew that worked. Let's get them back. It's just a really interesting thing. Yeah. Can we get the toothpaste back in the tube if yeah. needed? Or... And, and so the, you know, the interesting thing, when I, when I ask you that question about where's work going to be in five years, mm. well... I'm really drawn to these organisations who say, look, you know, this idea of getting people in three days a week is a red herring. Mm. And in five years, people are maybe becoming in one day a week, so let's just jump to there now, which is kind of a bit of what, you know, mm. you've considered with those work styles. And I'm just I'm really interested, firstly, how there's so many unanswered questions mm. that are still sitting there and, and, you know, trying to imagine what in five years' time will seem blindingly obvious now. Yeah, I think it's... It, the big, I believe at the moment the biggest risk that we have to this whole culture and environment we've built up of like, having this ongoing discussion is knee-jerk reactions if, if things aren't going in the way that... People, people expect them to, and that, like what you mentioned there, we're not. We see something and we default back, and I think that's the biggest risk to any organisation at the moment. And it's almost we have to be patient, we have to hold our nerve, and and can treat this as an ongoing journey rather than it being get to this point and this is done. Yeah, I, I, I absolutely agree with that, and I think um, I think it's going to be a nervy time throughout 2022 for for everyone because. Uh, it, we, we talk about we've been on this journey I, I, it feels like it's only just beginning really um, in reality because last year was so disrupted and again as you said it's just gone on longer than we all thought um, and so now we're really getting to the crux almost like the nitty gritty of what hybrid working means um, and that's that's the really hard bit um, you know the, the, the overarching strategy is great you know we have this idealistic view of where we're going to be in three, four, five years um, but actually how does that work in practice and that's what we're facing now um, um, and I think it's going to be a, exactly as Tom alluded to, that it's a case of not panicking, taking our time um, and almost keeping that long term view that actually I feel like we've done better than ever during the pandemic because we, we couldn't focus on the now because we had the pandemic going on. We weren't in offices. We weren't in a normal um, environment. Um, and so we had to take we were thinking, well, what are we going to do in a year's time? What are we going to do in two years time? And actually 
why would we lose that? Why would we suddenly come back where we can actually start thinking about the now, but then forget that long-term view mm -hmm. and actually understanding that, yeah, it might be a bit painful this year. It might be that, you know, offices aren't quite, you know, in terms of how many people are in and not, it's the short-term pain for the long-term gain. Mm -hmm. um, and I think, uh, I think that's going to be absolutely crucial to making it work in the long term. I, I think as well what we might start to see is the rise of, of, of the regions, right? So I think we'll start to see... You know, I, I'm, I'm in London today, but I live in Plymouth in Devon, right? So, you know, I come here for, for certain reasons, but I'd like to have somewhere in that region that I can go and feel connected to the organisation. So I think we, when we're already starting the pilot, and Josh, you've been involved in some of this, how do we build that sense of connection in, in the regions and, and, and the, the, community, the community offices above our branches is one of the ways we've started to do that. So almost kitting out a space, and Josh can talk a lot more about this because <laughs> you've been involved in that, setting out a space that has got all the technology that you need to connect in almost like a floor like we're on here so but above a branch so um but then that opens up further opportunities because that means you know people aren't necessarily commuting from where they might might be so one of the ones that we've got is in Woking, for example so people that would previously would have maybe commuted into here can go walk to the, the branch and they've got the, the all the stuff they need to connect in in a hybrid way with a microsoft teams room and they're able to to connect in with other people I think that will then hopefully start to, to build that sense of regional community as well, right. where it connects colleagues that work in that branch below as well. So actually, colleagues that might be thinking, I wonder what, what career is here for me in this organisation, they're able to then interact with people that might be working in HR or people that are working in digital and transformation, right. and they're able to, to link in with them um, and then sort of understand where there might be other career paths right. as we start to look at the kind of opportunity to help people get the, you know, reskill for the future, which is something we're also thinking about. How do we start to make sure we've got talent pools across the organisation? Because it's opened up a lot of opportunities. The way that the hybrid working experience has meant that, you know, there's roles that are open to people like me that, that live in Plymouth or I was speaking to a cashier in Truro in Cornwall the other day, just happened to be um, sharing me, with me his experience because he'd been able to work um, supporting a fraud, um, a fraud team remotely in the branch that he was in in the early days of the pandemic because they needed extra support. And he was like, this has opened up so many opportunities to me that I mm. never would have thought were possible because I don't want to leave Cornwall. I love it down here. Who wouldn't, to be fair? <laughs> but um, but it, it showed me that actually I could do a remote role. Right. So there could be more opportunities for me to do, do different things and have a different kind of career with the organisation. So there's a lot of talent pools that it's unlocked as well. Um, and I think it's, uh, it's a big opportunity for, for everybody to start to think, right, what, what could I do in, inside this organisation, like, you know, I've been around the block a few times here. I started, like I said, started as a cashier 14 years ago, but I've done so many different roles in different parts of the group. It's felt like I've had different careers all throughout. Um, and I think that has now been opened up to a lot more people because of the fact that we have a much more fluid approach to um, where we work. And I think kind of flipping that on its head as well in, in terms of the benefits for, you know, I think talking about these branch community offices um, and that it's the benefit for these uh, branch colleagues to, to get build that network and connection to, to head office colleagues. It, it brings it home, like figuratively and literally, um, for some of these colleagues who are going into their local branch, into an office. And yes, it is, it is a separate office, but they still walk, you know, past the branch. They walk through, in some cases, the same entrance um, as the branch colleagues. And they get to, I think, some 
some will, will admit they've worked for a bank for 10 years and may never have stepped foot in an actual bank where we actually serve customers. And when you think about that, you think, how's that possible? But because we are so large, there are functions that aren't mm. traditional banking functions. But um, nevertheless, it's such a benefit that they're going into their local community, they're interacting with with areas that are serving customers, the real front line of what we do, and just puts everything in perspective. And so I just think there's so many benefits to that kind of regionality that, that's building because of that. Um, and the whole idea is not necessarily to replace all the, all the hubs in the cities. Rather, it's just offering certain days during the week you can work here and then also you can go in when you need to. And again, it's, it's, and you could even argue all the, all the kind of benefits with um, uh, emissions and, and the green argument around, you know, we're, we're, I mean, I, I come into London on the train. Um, it takes an hour on the train and I drive to the train station. So you think of that and thinking, well, if I could go 20 minutes down the road half the week um, and then work from home another section and maybe go into the office once a week, it, uh, you've got that whole argument with carbon emissions as well. So it's the benefits are just massive. We just need to keep exploring them and just not forget that we wanted to do this for a very specific reason, uh, for multiple reasons, and um, that hasn't gone away just because the pandemic is, is rescinding. Yeah. Yeah. So, so listen, you, you two right at the centre, a huge employer, one of the beast employers, you're thinking about this. How are you trying to engage with outside people? How are you trying to sort of extend the conversation, in, include the conversation? What's your, what's your next step there? I think, uh, I think what we want to do, we want to talk more, um, and that's cross-industry. Uh, we understand that actually the people function um, across the, the entire global economy um, will be facing very similar challenges um, as we face hybrid working, as we look at how do we support remote workers, how do we manage office estates, all of that. Um, however, it always feels like we're very reticent to talk to each other um, and sometimes a bit standoffish, and what we want to do is start to open up that conversation. So we, um, we want to just facilitate others to come together that are, are in similar roles to ourselves but across other industries and just share, share best practice, share ideas, share common challenges and actually try and ideate together um, and so we're working on on setting up a, a kind of a external engagement forum community um, we're thinking that we're going to kind of use LinkedIn as a platform to build that um, but we, we would just love to talk to more people um, and we're always conscious that there's, there's certain things you can't always share but there's lots that we can um, and we just feel that Again, with some of these challenges, why are we not working together to tackle them? Um, and why are we trying to do it in isolation when we could really do with some of that group think? Yeah, we always want to talk with people, you know, and that's kind of how we've started to do this. And, and you know, even the concept of like the work lab was, I had this idea and I was like, can I find some like-minded people in this organisation that might also believe this could work? Well, this is a really interesting question, doesn't it? Because like your spirit there is about collaboration and shared learning. But I've definitely worked... I've sort of facilitated sessions for organisations who've said, this is a moment of differentiation. Mm. This is a moment where if we get this right, you know, it's, it's new trainers that mm. are going to get us over the, the, on the running track quicker. This is, a, this is something that's going to give us an extra 5% boost. So mm. it's interesting. This, it's an interesting moment of shared learning, but I guess where you might say, okay, shared learning, but the execution's where it all pays off. If you can get your culture aligned with this, then, you know, everyone can talk about the same things, but getting your culture aligned, actually, that's the differentiator. And maybe believing, look, there's going to be no secret ingredient that people can't work out if they're intelligent enough. So, like, that one, I guess, would say this is about culture, secret formula is, is the implementation. And then there's another angle, which is, actually, this is all about spotting something that someone hasn't spotted. The only 
conceivable versions I can see of that is that you say, actually, the secret weapon was five days a week in the office and everyone else has turned their back on it. Or the secret weapon is five days a week fully remote and we untether our workers from this really expensive real estate. They're the only ones that I, I, I believe, you know, there's, there's no other formula sitting there that we're not spotting. But it's just really interesting, isn't it, that, you know, that spirit of collaboration mm. with competitors is a really interesting thing that's a, from a moment of this. Yeah, and I think it's something that, you know, hasn't, you know, we need to think differently about a lot of things. Like, we need to think differently about work, we need to think differently about the concept of competition. We need to think differently about what people expect from employers, what it means to be an employee. There's just so many, it's a moment that there's been so many changes, everything's been thrown up in the air and we need to just catch the right balls, right? <laughs> so we need to make sure that we are, we've got the right ingredients to, to take this next step, whatever that might be. Amazing. What a brilliant honour to be back in the office and having this chat with you. Thank you both. No worries. Thank you. Shout out to Tom, gone from cashier to running really the, sort of the future of work and the work culture stuff for Lloyds Bank, Lloyds Bank Group. So thank you so much for, for him and Josh for joining me. Like I say, I've put the links to them in the show notes. Look, just such an honour to go in and hear the step-by-step practical steps that a big organisation like that are taking. Thank you so much for listening. If you liked any of this, I do a weekly newsletter, which you can get by going to the website Eat, Sleep, Work, Repeat. Thank you for your company. See you next time. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.